0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. We are continuing in our sermon series, Radical Love, through this Ohana uh, series. And if you need a Bible, we're going to have our ushers make them available to you in a moment. The scripture will be on the screens as well as in your notes and on your Bibles and your phones. We'll, you'll find them. Um, As we go through this topic of radical love, I've used this analogy before, it's like a gem, it's like a jewel, it's like a fine-cut diamond where there's all these different faces and facets of it. It is, when you think about a big, broad topic like radical love, it is multifaceted. There's so many different components to it. And so different things we've talked about are radically loving your rivals, or radically loving through serving, or radically loving uh, all generations. And so there's, there's these beautiful faces of this diamond. And we're going to continue on in that, in that spirit of it through Luke 15, verse 1 through 7. And it is the story of the lost sheep. So we're going to get there now. The story goes this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's our message. That's our story today. Now, uh, because of so many other components of our service already, I've tailored this down to be a sermonette. So as you find out, oh, man, that would have been cool if you would have, yeah, I thought so too. But we can't today. So uh, just know that up front today. So this message is titled Radical Love's Determination to Go After the One. Radical Love's Determination to Go After the One. Uh, To define determination, it looks like this. To be determined, having made a firm decision and are unwilling to change it. Compare that to having made a soft decision. Eh, Do we do this or do we do that? Do we go to this restaurant or go to that restaurant? Do we go to this movie time or this movie time? Do I go to the 9 o'clock service or 11 o'clock service? And are willing to change it. Eh, If there's a better deal that comes up or if there's a little bit of opposition, okay, you know, if there's a, a better idea. Right? So determination is the opposite of that. I think about it in this way of these like ingredients that make up determination. That's a, a mix of stubbornness, which isn't always bad. There's there's some good stubbornness, some stubbornness plus commitment plus decisiveness plus unwavering. That together is determination. What are some things in your life that you have been determined about? What are some things in your life you have been determined about? I am going to give you one example, and I hope it doesn't go horrible. Okay, this is a jump rope. It's a speed jump rope. And I started working out about 10 years ago uh, when I hurt my back when I was 30 years old. And I had to start getting in shape because I sit at the desk a lot. And so I had a friend, hey, I'm going to show you CrossFit, so I started doing that. And so it took me a while to learn how to do this, and I haven't done it on carpet before in front of 200 people before on a stage in front of lights, so we're going to see how this goes. Something like that, okay? That's the idea. It's called the double under. It's really complicated. It took me five and a half months to learn how to string them together. And it took me another six months to get 100 strung in a row. After whipping my hands with that metal cable, after whipping my legs, after whipping the tips of my toes over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, why would I try so hard? Because I was determined. I'm going to figure out how to do those. Okay? It was just a commitment that I had made. What are commitments that you've had in your life? What are things you've been determined? I'm going to figure out how to. There's higher stakes determinations that are in the realm of God, and that's like relationships. Okay? There's, sometimes in relationships there is a determination. I, I am going to stick this out. I'm going to do everything I can beyond what is within me. I'm going to lean on and press in. That's, that's where this story comes in with God. God is determined to go after the one. God is determined at all costs to go after the one. When we're talking about the one, we're talking about the one that has rebelled, the one that has strayed, the one that has been distracted, the one that has been deceived, the one that was isolated and separated That's the one. How many of you have been the one? Seven of us? (laughs) God's radical love is determined, okay? He is determined by his radical love to go after the one. So in this story, we see God's radical love is determined against the odds, Against the odds. You got 99. Like you're good. There's times in life where 99 is good enough. There really is. Okay. If you get 99% on a test, you're good. How many of you got your driver's test with less than 99%, right? You passed, right? Or a bar exam or a nursing exam or whatever it is. You passed the test. You graduated high school. You graduated college. Whatever it is. 99% of the time in relationships, if you did the right thing and said the right thing with the right motive, you'd be doing pretty good, humanly speaking, right? If 99% of the time you ate healthy, whatever that means, and you drank enough water and you slept throughout the night and had good sleep, you would be doing pretty good, wouldn't you say? If you drove the speed limit 99% of the time, I'd be proud of you. (laughs) If your batting average in baseball was 99%, right, you'd be killing it, right? If you remembered everyone's name 99% of the time, how cool would that be? That'd be pretty good. You'd be doing good enough. But then there's other times where 99% isn't enough. It isn't good enough. If you're eating those donuts, and they're 99% non-poisonous, that's not good enough, right? If you fly on a plane traveling and you only end up to the right destination, the right part of the world 99% of the time, that's not good enough. If the hospital gives the right newborn to the wrong parents, right, only 99% of the time, I actually said that wrong. You know what I mean. And lastly, if you only made it home safely 99% of the time of you getting in your car, that wouldn't be good enough. It wouldn't be good enough. God feels the same way about saving everyone. Saving everyone. 99 won't do. 2 Peter 3.9 communicates God's heart in this way, in a beautiful way, a loving way, a powerful way. He says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, that is to return, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patient because he doesn't want to lose anyone. God's radical love for that one, that far off, that rebellious, that deceived, that distracted, that isolated one, right, is... Immense against all odds. Here's a beautiful picture that I think captures this. Somebody recently shared this with me. That one that's stuck, that one that's isolated, dirty, manged, distracted, confused, deceived, and Jesus running back there, heading. I love that picture. Radical loves, determination to go after the one, against all odds, as well as against the critics. Against the critics. Notice that first verse there. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Notice, everyone was drawn to Jesus you had tax collectors and sinners that were drawn to Jesus they were attracted to Jesus they they were compelled to be with him to hear from him to spend time with him to know what is he about and the pharisees were just as attracted to him in a different way the tax collectors and sinners though that were poor in spirit those that knew they were sick and in need they they were looking for the good And then the Pharisees, they were looking for what was wrong. And I think it's a good picture for us of you will find what you're looking for. If you're going to look for what is right and what is good and what is pure, you'll find that. If you're going to find what is wrong, what you disagree with, you'll find that. You'll find what you're looking for oftentimes in life. I've heard it explained this way. You have a vulture and you have a hummingbird. Okay. They both find what they're looking for. Hummingbirds find the sweet nectar of life. What is good, what is right, what is true. And vultures find what they're looking for, death and decay. You will find what you're looking for. And so same for these guys. And so against the critics, God's love is determined to go against the critics. As they were grumbling, this man receives sinners That's key. That is our key. Okay. That is our key. You want to be like Jesus? Receive sinners. His critics are saying that's what's wrong with him. He receives sinners. Okay. That's clue for us in going I want to be about that. If Jesus is about that, that's what I want to be about. So if you want to follow Jesus... Receive sinners like Jesus. If you want to be changed like Jesus, receive sinners like Jesus. If you want to be on mission with Jesus, radically changing people's destiny for eternity, receive sinners like Jesus. How are you doing at receiving sinners like Jesus? Do, do you even know what that means? And I, and I don't even mean that in a critical way. I, I just mean it for you to process. What does it look like to receive sinners like Jesus? What does it look like to receive sinners? If you don't know what that means or there's more for you to know, you sense that there's more for you to know about what does that mean for me to receive sinners like Jesus, I would encourage you to find out more of what that means to receive sinners like Jesus. I'd encourage you to look to Jesus' example. Follow his model. See what he did. See what he didn't do. Pray. Ask God. God, help me. Teach me. How do I receive sinners like you? A couple things that I think about, and, and I think this is an important clarification. When I think of sinners, I don't think of Lost people. I think of lost people, yes, those that don't have faith in a saving faith of acknowledging Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but I also think of Christians. I know just as many Christians, right, <laughs> that have sin. Anybody? Anybody alive in here? Okay. And struggle, right? And sometimes we get really stuck. So, so think of it, I want to encourage you to think of it in both ways. Um, a few do's and don'ts that I think of when I think of receiving sinners like Jesus. A few do's and don'ts. Don'ts. Uh, don't ignore your past mistakes. As you receive sinners, don't ignore your past mistakes. Don't ignore your need for mercy, God's mercy, today, right here, right now, this minute. Don't care more about correcting their sin more than God does. He, he's the judge. He's, he's way better at it than we are. And he knows the timeline, the process that he's wanting to work out in their life. We don't have to carry that pressure. Do's Do give away freely what you have received freely. That is mercy. Mercy is you don't deserve it. And he didn't give you what you deserved. Do... Share God's truth in combating, God's li- or in combating Satan's lies. Share God's truth in combating Satan's lies. And then remember, God is okay with the process. Do, remember, God's okay with the process. He patiently waits, right? Look at your own life. Look at your own journey. If, you have, if you've been walking with Jesus, how long has it been for him to bring about these incremental growths, right? It seems like he's okay with the process. A couple examples here that I think about just in my life, and I have zero desire to paint myself as the hero in this, but I'm just looking back and going over the last month, a couple opportunities that I've had that I want to just freely share with you. Uh, There's one gentleman who grew up in the church, a Christian, neat guy, great man, and he had made some mistakes in his life recently and was really beating himself up. Really embracing self-condemnation. So, in my lens, I am—I know that's not the Father's voice, that's not the Spirit's voice, that's not Jesus's voice. Whose voice would that be? Right? It's—it's it's his enemy. It's his accuser. It's—it's—it's it's, it's the deceiver. Right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans eight one. So, in my conversation with him, my encouragement was to not listen to that voice, right? To not come into agreement with that voice, but rather listen to the father's voice and agree with the father of what he says, which is love and truth and good. That's not the wisdom from above that you're listening to. What's the wisdom from above? It's not this. So don't come into agreement with that. But there's love and truth and forgiveness and grace and mercy and patience by God. And so there was a conversation I had with him in steering him this way, right? Receiving this sinner struggling in sin that the enemy is trying to distract and deceive and get stuck, right? God's wanting to break in and break these habits of self-condemnation. Satan's like, here's a bat, beat yourself up with. And he's like, yeah, I'm horrible. That's not the fruit of, God, of, fruit of God's life in his life. That's not the fruit of the spirit in his life. There was another conversation with a gentleman, and just because of the young ears, I'll say it this way, um, he lived an alternative lifestyle to God's design for relationships, okay? And, uh, and so somebody connected me with him, and uh, in this phone call conversation, he knew where I was. He's like, I know you're a pastor, right? I, from that, I said, I am not going to preach at you, I just want you to know that. I'm not going to preach at you. He says, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, like Absolutely. What I'm wanting to do in this conversation is hear and see what God is doing in your life and then join him in that. Right? And to fan that into flame. And then curb what the enemy's wanting to speak. Right? So I'm going to encourage what God's truth is and I'm going to discourage Satan's lies. Those are just a couple examples over the last month in my life of receiving sinners and just participating with Jesus and his work in receiving sinners. What are some of those ways in your life? What are some of those opportunities? You see, you know, God gives you. It's going to look different than mine, and, and yours is going to look different than God will give me, right? What's Opportunities. God is determined to go after the one. God is determined to go after the one. Radically so, he is. He values the one a ton, and he doesn't want us to minimize or think less of or think little of, oh, it's just one. It's just one soul. It's just one person. It's just one family. It's just one marriage. It's just one kid, or whatever it may be. You've probably heard this said, that if There was just you on the earth. God would have, the Father still would have sent the Son, the Son still would have died, and the Son still would have sent the Spirit to you because he loves you that much. That's radical. I believe that's true. I believe that's the Jesus that we see radically pursuing the one. And I think this story reflects that well. Our vision here at our church is to see our communities change through hope in Jesus, one person at a time. How does God want to use you to reach that one? He wants to. He wants to use you. He wants you to participate in his divine work, in reaching, using you and your story, the good stuff, the bad stuff. He wants to use you in reaching the one. We're going to finish here with this. Um, what's your next steps? So my, my hope would be out of this message, encouragement and prayer and going, God, use me. Continue to pray that. Maybe that would be the first time you've prayed that. God, use me. Use me. Who, who's the one? Who's the one that you want to put in my path for me to receive a sinner like you? Receive a sinner like you. For us as a church, uh, there's a response that I want us to participate in and it's this next song that we're gonna sing. It's called Reckless Love and it's familiar for many of us. But as I listened to this song, I couldn't help but go back to the artist's words and his name's Corey Asbury. And so I just uh, stole a video from him and he introduces the song in the heart of it, which is out of this very passage, Luke 15. And so watch Corey and listen to his words regarding this song.
1: Reckless Love really is the song of my whole life. That phrase kind of dropped in my heart about maybe five years ago. I just started experiencing the kindness of the Father, the goodness of the Father in a way that I'd never experienced before. And so that phrase, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, was just kind of lodged in here. I didn't know what to do with it. One night, I woke up, it was probably, you know, three in the morning, and I had the full melody for that chorus. I grabbed my iPhone, and I, I ran in the closet, and, You know, I closed the door, and I, I sang it into my iPhone, and the next day, I just sat down at the piano and just kind of pounded out the whole chorus. And then I got together with my buddy, Caleb Culver, and we just started hashing out the verses, talking about, you know, Adam in the garden. Before he'd done anything to earn the Father's affection, the Father looked at him and said over him, you are very good. We just sort of went with that theme, you know, so when I was your enemy, still your love fought for me. When when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Uh, A lot of people have asked, why I use the word reckless to describe God. I see the love of God as something wild, insane, crazy. The way that he pursues, the way that he chases us down, the way that he loves, I believe is reckless. And so we were going after that really furious sort of violent language to speak of the nature of the love of God that it never backs down. It doesn't give up. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He goes, no, my love is crazy. My love comes as a baby and dies on a cross. The most foolish thing you could possibly imagine, the reckless love of God says, I will stop at nothing to have your heart and to get you face to face and go, this is who I am. I'm good. I'm kind. I'm faithful. And he does everything in his power to do that. His love is wild. His love is reckless.